be here. Do I now? I need the mic? Is it for recording? Or? Is it recording or do you, do you need the mic? Alright. Yeah, I feel like I'm right in your face. <laughs> Listen to me. Okay, uh, open up your Bibles to Luke 6. says this, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. That's one of my favorite words in the Bible. You will be satisfied. Psalm 145 says, You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Now I want to ask you guys, you can, you can stop looking at your smartphone or, or Bible. What are you expecting tonight? You know, you guys come here, some of you come here every Tuesday, some of you guys come here every other Tuesday, some of you guys welcome, you know, to, to Emmaus. I'm uh, glad that you're here, but why? Why are you here? Is it to sing some songs? Is it, you know, to hear some funny stories? Is it to just hang out with some cool people? Why are you here? And I know you guys have probably heard a lot of sermons, probably heard a lot of different sharings and testimonies in your life. Some of them been good, some of them maybe you kind of zoned out, some of them you fell asleep right away. But I want to ask you right now, do you have any expectation? The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger now, for they will be satisfied. And what I'm going to share with you guys tonight is I'm going to share some stories from my life. It's going to be a lot of testimony sharings tonight, uh, so I hope that's okay. But uh, it's, my life is very simple, it's a very normal life, at least it used to be. Uh, but now I'm in my eighth year here in Korea, serving the orphans. I've lived in an orphanage for three years, and I'm directing an orphanage ministry and a scholarship fund for orphans, a mentoring program. I helped plant a church in a bar uh, in Itaewon back in 2010. That's now New Philly, Itaewon. I've uh, gone on missions to Myanmar and Nepal and Indonesia and Philippines and all these other different places. I've lived a very interesting life. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is that your life should always get more exciting. Your life should always get better. A lot of people as Christians, they think, especially your age, because I was your age one time, I always thought, man, I wish I did drugs. So I have a cool testimony. You know, so everybody be listening about my gangster days. Yeah, like 20-year-old gangster. Like, come on. Uh, you know, but that's, that's like what we really admire, especially in, in youth group. And, and in college, it's like, that's so cool. Because once you become a Christian, you know, it's just kind of like you go to church. And, you know, you live your life. And you hang out with those people. At least that's the way I thought it was growing up. And so my testimony is pretty simple. Uh, let me just start from the beginning. But I want you guys to listen to my life. And you're going to hear like a crescendo of coolness in my stories. It's going to start very boring. I'm a white suburbanite. <laughs> right away. Um, but it gets better and better and better. And it's going to get better and better. It's not going to be I'm going to be 40 years old and be like, well, good times have passed. No. 
God says, I will satisfy you now. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Isaiah 49, 26, this is my favorite lines in the Bible. It says, Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Those who wait on Him will not be put to shame. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Are you hoping for something tonight? Yeah. I mean, I know when I hear guest speakers, sometimes I'm hoping, man, I really hope they don't bore me. I really hope I don't have to like sit here for an hour and just listen to this boring study. I want you guys to be hoping right now, and I guarantee you, if you are expectant right now, you will not be disappointed by the end of this large group. You will get blessed. You will walk away with something. You will walk away changed. Psalm 37, uh, 37.4, I'm going to speak on this one a little bit in my testimony. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's what you're going to hear today. My desire was for a more exciting life. And it didn't take drugs and alcohol and sex and all that stuff. Forgot to give that to me. Uh, my life is exciting. Right? I know the sweater doesn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I say my life is exciting. All right, so uh, I was born in Northern Virginia, uh, Springfield, Virginia, that area. And uh, my parents are Christian. They sent me to a Christian school. I went to church on Sundays. Went to youth group. It was Christian, Christian, Christian. And so I was a good boy. I didn't get into a lot of trouble. Sorry, it's not that exciting yet. Uh, it was just the usual life. And I learned how to pray. I learned how to read the Bible. But I will be honest in saying I did not have a relationship with God. I knew how to go through the motions, but I never heard God's voice. Uh, worship at my old church was like hymnals and like very kind of like dead. Uh, they did not believe in the Holy Spirit. You know that was the Spirit's alive today. Uh, it was not charismatic in the least. Okay, it was just your run-of-the-mill church, and that was my life. And when I was 14, I fell into depression, uh, not because life was hard, but because I was just a, a dumb kid. Alright, I got rejected by some friends and started getting insomnia. And I got so depressed that I went from weighing, I think I weighed 156 pounds my freshman year, and I got down to 130. And, uh, and I was like, you know, six foot then. So you can imagine. I was like skinny, but I lost so much weight because I was like, what's the point of life? You know, that's just so like mellow, like sad, you know, teenager, like snapped out of it. But that was the way I was. And I really honestly thought about suicide. Because I, like, I thought, what is there more to life? Like, you know, you're just trying to make friendships and trying to do the day-to-day, -day, but it's not really that exciting. My parents, thank, thank the Lord, they picked up on it, and uh, they started to look after me more. They made me watch Saturday Night Live and, like, other stuff to laugh and, and, and to get built up. And they were really praying for me. And I did not have a spiritual experience uh, that brought me out of it, but I really believe it was just the prayers that the depression gradually lifted. I started eating again. And I started to be happy again. It wasn't until I was 16 that I was at a retreat. Just like you guys are at the Amaze retreat, I was at a retreat just like that. And I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time. And it was during worship. And, uh, we're, you know, everyone's just singing to the Lord. And I'm kind of singing, but I'm also just, I don't know what, what was going on, but I heard God's voice. And it was very, very simple. And God told me three words. He said, I love you. I love you. And I will tell you guys, when I heard his voice, there were these different memories that just like flashed before my mind. And there were memories of people showing me love. And it wasn't my parents or like really close friends, but it was teachers, it was random strangers, it was acquaintances, just different people showing me love. And what God showed me in those memories was behind every loving person in my life, he was there. 
Because 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God first loved us. God is love. So any love that you receive, I don't care if it's from a Buddhist, a Hindu, or, or whatever, if they are operating in love, it's through God's grace and it's through His love for you. And so it was in that moment where He told me that He loved me, it wasn't so much a revelation of the cross, but it was a revelation of Him in the now. He loves me right now. He's in my life right now. He's not just Jesus from 2,000 years ago. Let's praise Him for the cross. But He's Jesus now. He's alive. He's Emmanuel. He's God with me. And in that moment, I said, God, I want to give you my life. And I did rededication. That's how I, I termed it. But really, that was the night that I gave my life to the Lord. And uh, I began to seek Him. Okay? So it was on an exciting level. I mean, you know, glory be to God, but... We're starting low, okay? You know, like, praise God, you saved me. That's an awesome story. But if that's it to your life, I would question your walk with God. I would question, are you really even saved? Are you really even walking with Him? Because if you're walking with Him, it should get better and better and better and better. Because if you're walking with someone, you get to know them more, right? That should be exciting. If you're walking with God, life should get a lot more exciting because God is infinite in His glory. There's a reason why the elders kept bowing down and bowing down and bowing down. You want to know why? Because every time they looked up, they would see a different part of God. He is infinite, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. They would see a different part and be like, oh my, they'd throw their crown down, worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They would worship Him. Then they would go and they would get their crown and the four living creatures would start worshiping. The elders would sit back down in their seat, look up, more of God. And you would think this would get monotonous, but the truth is, is every time you see something breathtaking, it, it takes your breath away. Then if you see something else even more breathtaking, you get even more. Now imagine God, who created the world, who created the universe, you're seeing more and more of Him. That's how your Christian life should be. Your life should be seeing Him more and more, experiencing Him more and more, and it should get exciting. It should be amazing. Romance, I was talking about with my wife today. Uh, we're having to talk about romance and Korean, Korean dramas. Romance is all about mystery. It's all about mystery. And that's why when you first date someone, it's so exciting. Because you're just getting to know them and, and you, know, you get the jitters and, and everything. And then when you get to know that they're a slob and like, you know, they, don't, they don't respect you and stuff, you break up. Those jitters are gone. Okay? And they weren't really real, but it was that romance part. It was the mystery. The truth is, with God, there's always more. So there should always be mystery. There should always be romance. There should always be excitement. Right? I mean, we're humans. There's only so much that we can share. But with God, He's infinite. So I began to seek Him more and more. And uh, what happened was I was really girl crazy in high school. Uh, my sisters married when they were 21. My parents married when they were 18 and 19. Uh, I was a white boy. I thought I would marry uh, by the time I was 21 and have kids by 24. Okay, I got married two years ago. I'm, uh, what, 31? How old am I? I don't even know. <laughs> Dang, I'm getting that older. I don't know my age. Yeah, it, it got delayed. But I was, I was girl crazy. I really wanted to get married. I read books on marriage in my freshman year uh, in my loft, in my dorm room. You know, <laughs> Got to get ready. And uh, I, I ended up dating a girl that I really liked from high school my freshman year. It didn't work out. That romantic mystery quickly fluttered away. And uh, we broke up. And I found myself very empty. And it was at that time that I was also just getting introduced to good worship music. Okay, worship music in the 90s is bad, or at least it wasn't that good for the stuff I heard. But I started to hear some good Christian music, and uh, my heart just started to go after the Lord. And I prayed to the Lord, and what God put on my heart 
Don't worry, this isn't for you. You can take it if you want, but this is what you put on my heart. Give up girls to me while you're in college. Okay, and I was like 18, and I wanted to get married like right away. Um, but I just had dated and dated and been disappointed and disappointed and realized how much time I'd wasted in that area. And I said, God, I really just want to grow with you. I really want to know you more. I'll give up girls during college. I'll just trust you will provide after college. And so I, I just, I shut that part out of my life. And uh, it really blessed me in terms of relationships and friendships. These boundaries were very clear. I wasn't ever giving weird signals. Uh, it was good in that way. And I just began to grow with the Lord. And uh, I want to share one story from my second semester of my sophomore year uh, at Virginia Tech. I was studying engineering, and I was taking 19 credits, and there was not one Cape class. It was all like differential equations, multivariable, uh, physics, chemistry. Uh, I was taking everything together, 19 credits. <coughs> I was taking some, some uh, fourth-year-level statistics classes. It was intense. And I had kind of set it in my heart that, God, I'm going to put you first before my studies. And it's going to be you first, and then it's going to be my studies, and then it'll be like, you know, fellowship and stuff like that, and, and it'll be like play and, and, and exercise and working out. But God, I'm putting you first. And so even if I have like 12 hours, hours worth of studying, I'm just going to seek you first. I'm going to pray first. I'm going to read my Bible first. And this wasn't just like 10 minutes. Okay, this was really seeking him. And uh, so I started, I was doing that, and then my second semester of sophomore year, 19 credits, um, oh, I also have to add, after my first semester of my freshman year, I got, uh, was it, Dean's List, and uh, I didn't know, like, what that was, and I didn't know what would make my parents happy, but I remember I went, I went home, and I had like a 3.41, or something like that, 3.4 was Dean's List at Virginia Tech, my parents were like, you made Dean's List, that's great, and I was like, okay, alright, so God... To honor my parents, I just need to make Dean's List. And so I said, God, I'm putting you first, but I pray you got to help me make Dean's List. And I'm, I'm going to seek you first, but God, help me make that 3.4. So wouldn't you know it, by that second semester of my sophomore year, my GPA was 3.4000000. Okay, that's what God was doing. And uh, taking 19 credits, and you know how it is, you get exam week. You, you have a, a test in every class. I had like seven classes. So I'm test after test after test after test. And I remember that week going, and I get back my, like, um, I don't even remember the names of those classes. They're so weird. But it was like, I, it was a C. And I go to the next class, and I'm like, this one will be better. It's a D. And so I go to the next class, and I'm like, this will surely be better. And it was an F. I remember my statistics class, the class average was like a 77, and I got, I think, a 52. And I was like, I'm, I'm better than this. And uh, I was really shocked. It was a take-home exam. I bombed it. And I finally got to my multivariable <coughs> class, and uh, I thought I aced this one. Like, I know I got this one. This is the last five. All my courses, I had C's, D's, and F's. I get there, and I pull it out, and it's a D. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I remember walking back to my dorm room, and I'm looking at it. And the reason why I got it off was you had to do the shell method for this question, but I used the disk method, whatever that stuff is. And I got the right answer, but I used the wrong method. And then when it said use the disk method, I used the shell method. So I had all the answers right on this stupid multivariable you know, calculus test, but he marked me off because the way I did the problem was wrong. And I remember just walking, and uh, there was some other drama that happened at that time that, that 
I, I can't go into. But it was like the worst week of my life up to that point. And I was like, God, could this get any worse? And then drop. Drop. And the rain starts coming down on me as I'm walking home. I'm like, it's bright out. Like, what's going on? It was raining all over me. And I remember I was a mess. And, uh, oh, yeah, it did get worse. Then I went to my, uh, my AutoCAD class. And AutoCAD, you got to, like, you know, do these programs where you make these shapes and these different items. And uh, at the beginning of the class, it's 8 in the morning, the professor yells, he's like, is there a John Michael Becker in, in here right now? And I'm like, well, that's good. Like, I'm, I'm right here. And uh, he says, see me after class. And then he, like, goes on with a lecture. And it's, like, a great way to start the class, right? And so I go up to him afterwards. I'm like, oh, professor, well, what is it? And he said, you're John Michael Becker? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what is it? See me in my class on, I'm in my room uh, on Monday. I'm like, great, i got to wait all weekend. So uh, I wait all weekend. I go to him on Monday. And uh, he says, he takes out some different things of homework. And he says, tell me what, what this is. And he throws it in front of me. And it's my homework, and it's my friend Sharon's homework. And I'm like, what? And, and he says, what? And he takes it, and he holds it up to the light. And it's, like, identical. And, uh, you know, the way it is with AutoCAD is you make the same exact shape, but you're making it on your computer screen, and there's no way that you're going to make it in the exact same place on your computer screen. Well, what had happened was Sharon and I had been in the same lab working on it for, like, four hours. I finish. I print it out. She finishes it. She's about to print it out, and her computer crashes. She loses everything. Four hours of work. So I said, look, it's like math. Two plus two is four. Everyone's going to get the same answer. Just change your name, and we'll just print it out. Little did I know, my professor takes every single thing. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, man, you know, this is what happens. And he says, that's for the honor court to decide. My like, honor court? And, and he's like, get out of here. And I'm like, well, that was great. And I remember I leave, and I go to my friend's room, and I'm like a mess. Because here I'm failing all my classes. All this stuff is going on. There's drama in my fellowship as well that I don't even want to get into. And, uh, and so I go to my friends for comfort. And they're like, hey, this is what happened. You know, I, he says I got to go to honor court. They're like, honor court? Oh, no. That's like a mark on your record in 40 hours of community service. And you're guilty until proven innocent. Like, they don't even listen to you. And I'm like, thanks, God. <laughs> let it out. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, I remember I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to work in the food court for 40 hours. I'm late. I'm going a permanent mark on my record, along with all these horrible grades. I was like, God, what is going on? And I remember as I walked home, I was like, God, do you want me to just go to Bible college? Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that funny? It was like, run away. But uh, I was like, oh no. I, I told my parents, they were like, all right, you know, we'll be praying for you. And... Uh, I was, I was a mess, and I remember after all that stuff happened, laying in my like, loft bed in my dorm room, and I just didn't want to see anybody. Uh, I was a mess, and my friends came over, and it was time for like familia-type thing, and I dragged myself out, and I went to the familia gathering, uh, we called it uh, home group, and um, I remember just the presence of God was there as we were worshiping, and it was just sweet, and I felt such heaviness on me. But I could feel that sweetness there. And, uh, and so I, I said, God, you're going to bring me through this. You're going to bring me through this. And so I kept seeking him. I worked really hard on my classes. Second exam term comes in. I do 
good on all these classes, and then comes to that statistics class that I was bombing. In this class, if I don't pass it, I can't become a third year. I had to pass it or else I have to repeat the next year, the full year, because they don't offer those classes. And, and so I take it, and I get it back, and I got like a 47, and the class average like an 80. And I was like, I'm not an idiot. Like, what is going on? And uh, I was a mess because there were only three exams in that class. They were all 30% each and then like 10% participation or, you know, something like that. And, uh, and so I was like, I calculated and if I got aced the final, I think I would end up with a C minus. If I aced the final where I'd gotten two Fs in it already. And, uh, and then I still got this honor report thing hanging over my head. The professor's not looking at me nicely during class, but he's not moving ahead with it either. And, and so I'm just kind of like on, on shelves, like waiting. And, uh, I keep seeking the Lord, and there's a lot more to this story. There's a lot of stress. I really learned how to stand on His Word. Psalm 121, I really had to lean on that chapter during that time. And uh, what ended up happening was the statistics professor found out that almost the majority of the class had been cheating on the exams. They were take-home exams where you have a week to do it. Really hard questions where the textbook doesn't really help you, um, but they had been passing it around. All the fraternities, sororities, doing that stuff. This is why I was bombing it, and they were all doing well. And I think the professor found out, and she said, the final exam will not be take-home, it will be in class. And, uh, and I studied my butt off, but I kept the Lord first. I will tell you guys, through this whole time, there was not one night where I was like, God, I really got to study for this exam, Bible can wait for tomorrow, prayer can wait for tomorrow. I would put Him first, and I would seek Him out. And um, I went into that final exam, I did my best. And I remember afterwards, a few days later, I was in another class, and they said they, the grades came up online, and the people in my class, they're all like, dude, I, I failed statistics. I got a D. I was doing so good. I got a D plus, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, no, because these are the guys I knew had done well before. And uh, I go back to my uh, dorm room, and I look it up, and I got a B minus in the class. This was like bizarre. I couldn't get that. I calculated it. But I think what she did was she saw the, the shift in the final grade so much that she double-weighted the final exam. And I was like, yes. And then the next day, my professor, the AutoCAD class, comes up to me and says, hey, I've dropped everything. Um, you're okay. I'm like, yeah? He's like, yeah, you aced the class. Uh, I So I got an A in that. I ended up with better than Dean's List that, that semester. And that was my hardest semester. You know what happened was from that semester forward, my GPA kept going up to the point where when I was a senior, I was just like 4.0, just straight A's. And I would go to the classes, and the professor would sit down with me and say, you know, you got a 91 in this class, that's an A minus. But um, I just, you know, I saw you there at every class, and, and you were just really faithful. I'm, I'm going to give you an A. I'm like, great. And I go to the next class, and they're like, well, you got an 88, and uh, that's, a, that's a B plus. But... Uh, I was just really blessed by, you know, your effort this year. I'm going to give you an A. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. And this is what God was doing in my life. Now, to add to this, during that second semester of my sophomore year, I had a decision to make because I had, uh, I was taking engineering courses. And in engineering, you need to take a co-op, which you take like six months or a year off of school and you work. Uh, I think Joe Payne's doing that right now. Oddly enough, Emmaus is engineering. But, uh, you know, so I, I knew I had to do that, but I had no experience uh, with engineering. And so I knew I needed an internship in the summer to get a co-op co job. 
But God told me, no, I want you to go to Korea for short-term missions. I had never been outside of America in my life. I didn't know where Korea was. Okay? I was a white boy. I didn't know where Korea was. And, uh, but I felt God calling me to Korea. And but I was like, God, you got to take care of me because I need a co-op. And I, I just felt God say, go. I went to Korea. I did short-term missions, uh, teaching English at a camp. I had a really hard time. I went home jaded. I said, I never want to go back to Korea. Uh, I don't want to do missions for my life. It's very ironic. And, uh, and, but I was like, you know, hey, I learned a lot. You know, I, I grew in prayer from that summer. Well, I go into my fall semester, and I apply for all these co-ops. I'm giving out my resume, all these job fairs, and I'm hearing back from nobody. From nobody. And I'm like praying, like, come on, God, you said you would give me this. I got nothing on my resume, though. You know, God, you, you got to help me out here. And then one day, uh, my roommate was still asleep. It was like 3 in the afternoon. He would sleep till 4 every day, but he was still asleep. And uh, I was sitting in the room, and the phone rang. I picked it up, and there was this guy with a thick Indian accent. And, and uh, he said, is John Michael Becker there? And it sounded, I, I feel bad calling him an Asian. It sounded like a stereotype. I thought he was a telemarketer. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's John Michael. You know, what, what is it? He said, oh, this, uh, this is you know, so-and-so from Infineon Technologies. Uh, I went to give you a phone interview for our engineering position. And I was like, oh, yes, sir, yes. <laughs> and he gives you this phone interview where I'm sitting right next to my roommate sleeping, because that's where the phone was. And uh, I give a phone interview, and they're like, all right, thank you very much. And I'm like, I hang up, and I'm like, wow, that was random. Well, the next day, I get a call, I pick it up, and now it's a manager from Infineon Technologies. And, uh, and he starts interviewing me. And uh, he says, I want to offer you a co-op at our job. It was really good paying. It was six months working in a, a clean room uh, with, with memory chips and doing all that stuff. And he's talking about, and then he said, hey, tell me about your experience in Korea. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, because it was on my resume. I taught English in Korea. So I showed him about that. And he said, you know what separated your resume from every other resume was that you have international experience teaching people who can't speak English. You're going to work great in the fabrication plant with our workers. In the fabrication. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, wow. And uh, I went to Infineon and I met the other interns and these guys were nerds. These guys are like 4.0 GPA from Rochester School of Engineering. You know, like, you know, people apply from Harvard. People apply from like all these nice schools. And he chose Virginia Tech not the top GPA. I had an okay GPA, but not compared to these 4.0 interns, he chose me. Why? Because I would obey the Lord. And uh, it was cool. And God kept guiding me in different things. I got a lot of stories from college, but I'm going to move on to how God led me to Korea. Because this is important for you guys. Because I know you guys are in a pivotal time in your life. You guys are one of the most free, just the highest potential generation that's ever lived. You guys can go anywhere in the world today. You can even go into North Korea, most of you, uh, if you want. You know, that's how crazy it is for you guys. You just need a passport. You can go almost anywhere, right? You need a credit card and a passport. Today, you can buy a plane ticket and go almost anywhere in the world. And so you guys got to know God's way for your life. It's not supposed to be boring. It's not supposed to be just, you know, just live and work and sleep. It's supposed to be amazing. And so I had that expectation. And going into my last year of college, God had changed my heart. During my time in college, to the point where he began to open me up for missions. Remember, after my sophomore year, I was like, I'll never do missions again. But God changed that. 
And I showed that verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. But what he did was all these false desires that I thought I had, like I need a nice house, and I need a nice car, and I need a family right away, and I need to live in the suburbs, or you know, blah, blah, blah. He started to peel that stuff off of me. Those aren't your desires. Those are the desires that all those commercials and all the people that you've been watching have put on you. But I know your deep desires, and your deep desires are for adventure. Your deep desires are to go out someplace. And he began to reveal this to me, and he put a heart in me for missions. And I sensed it was for Asia. Not Korea, but Asia. And uh, so going into my last year, I wrote down all these different countries that maybe God's going to lead me here, maybe God's going to lead me here. I wrote down seminary, I wrote down being a college ministry staff member, I wrote down engineering in the States, engineering abroad. What do you want me to do with my life, God? I want you to guide me with clarity. And the thing was, my parents were completely against me leaving the country. Engineering or missions. They wanted me, well, they were okay with engineering, but they really wanted me to stay in Virginia, near the house. They didn't want me to leave Virginia. My family is not world travelers. Uh, they wanted me close to the home. And so they were just not for sharing missionary art. They're like, no, 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 no. They're Christian, but there's none of that in our family. And so I was praying, God, I pray that you guide me with clarity, and I pray that you guide my parents with you as well. And so I began to pray and fast throughout my last year in college. I would fast one day a week. And I was just lifted up to the Lord. And uh, I was like, hungry, come on, God, like, show, me, show me something amazing. But you know what God did was he would just gradually lead me that, no, it's not Thailand. No, it's not China. No, it's not seminary. And he was gradually leading me to cross things off the list. Now, how did he do this? The Lord works in mysterious ways. But people like it when I show this one. that I would, For Vietnam, I really wanted to go to Vietnam. Uh, I visited there for a study abroad. I love Vietnamese food, but I was praying about it, and I remember I went to a, a pho restaurant in Virginia, and I'm sitting in there, and I'm enjoying it, I'm like, God, Vietnam? And then, and then I heard all the Vietnamese people speaking around me. I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't speak Vietnamese. Like, Blessings on you Vietnamese people, but uh, that language, I was so intimidated, and uh, I was like, forget it. Cross it off the list. That's how God works sometimes. You know? Sometimes it's like glory. Sometimes it's just you hear people speak. And, uh, it, it's not going to work. And so I kept seeking and seeking. Guys, I did a 10-day water fast during Virginia Tech. 10 days straight where uh, I didn't eat or drink anything except the water. And uh, I was just seeking the Lord. I was so hungry. And I wanted God to guide me. I remember on that 10th day, I was in class with Sky. We had an exam for World Regions. It was a class of like 500. And uh, I took it on my 10th day of a water fast. And I got the highest grade in the class. That's the grace of the Lord, okay? Uh, that's how he works. I, I, felt, I felt good, but I, I didn't get that like glory of God shows up. Because that's what I was seeking. Like, Come on, God. 10 days water fast, you know. Give me at least an angel. You know, something. And I got nothing. And uh, I was like, well, God, you're going to do something. I know it. No, I kept waiting. By the time I graduated in May, uh, God had crossed everything off the list except for Japan. And I applied for a missions agency in Japan. I got accepted. So I thought, I guess this is it. But God hadn't really guided me in Japan. And when I told my parents about it, God had opened up their hearts enough to where they were like, you can go wherever you want for one year, but then you need to come home and you need to work engineering, you need to use your degree to make some money and be safe. So that heart had opened up like a little. God had guided me about this much, but it wasn't what I wanted. And so I went home, and uh, I told my parents, hey, I'm not going to be eating dinner with the family on Thursdays. 
And I said, oh, you know, why not? I said, oh, it's my fasting day. And fasting was something at my home church they never talked about. And so my parents were like surprised. I said, well, what are you fasting for? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm fasting for my future. And they were just, they paused for a bit. And they were like, well, John Michael, your future is really important to us as well. We want to fast with you. I was like, wow. Like, I've never known my parents fasting ever in my lifetime. But here they were. They wanted to fast with me. And, uh, and so that Thursday, we fasted. It was the first Thursday we're home. The next day, my dad comes up to me and says, John Michael, I had the weirdest dream last night that you were at an orphanage in South Korea with Pastor Chet. And I was like, what? <laughs> orphanage? I don't have a heart for kids. That's crazy. Korea? I don't want to go to Korea. No. And then Pastor Che, I had met him while I was in Korea in 2003 one time. He had spoken in America at my home church, like 1986, something like that, like 20 years earlier. My dad had met him. My dad had never been out of the country. Okay? And here he has this random dream of me in an orphanage with Pastor Che in Korea with all these kids running around us. And you know what we did? We laughed. <laughs> What a crazy dream! <laughs> 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 oh, it's foolish, you know. And, and we just went on, like, oh, we fasted yesterday. My mom, like, she, you know, a little more discerning. She's like, oh, you know, we fasted yesterday. That's interesting. But we just laughed about it, and uh, and we waited. And I started work construction, waiting on God to guide me. I was working six in the morning to two in the afternoon, a hard hat, digging ditches, putting up wire, uh, just just waiting on God. A month later, my dad had a second dream. And in this dream, it was a nightmare. And I didn't know this about my dad, but he's the type of guy, his head hits a pillow, he's out, and he wakes up. You know? No dreams, nothing like that. And so for him to have this nightmare, it shook him up to the point where he got out of bed, middle of the night, which for him is like 2 in the morning. For you guys, that's like bedtime. But you know, he gets up, middle of the night, 2 in the morning. And uh, he goes downstairs, and he opens up his Bible, and he's praying, and he's like, God, why did you let me have that horrible dream? What are you trying to tell me? And God spoke with clarity to my dad that night. And he said, Pete, I speak in dreams. Pay attention. And my dad was like, he shook. And the only dream he could remember was me and an orphanage with Pastor Chet. And so he came up to me the next day. And this time it wasn't like, I had this weird dream. It was more like, hey, you know, John Michael, I had this dream last night. And God spoke to me. And he says he speaks to me in dreams. And as he's saying this, a light bulb went on my head. You see, what I started doing my freshman year of college was I would have a prayer journal, and uh, I would open it up, and on one page I would write down people dear to me, and I would pray for them every day. And then as I would pray for them, God would put certain requests on my heart, or certain things on my heart, and I would write it down next to their name, and I would pray that for them daily. Well, every semester, I would just get more and more hungry for the Lord. Blessed are those who hungry, hunger now, for they will be satisfied. I just want more of Him. And as I wanted more of Him, His love filled me more. We love because He first loved us. And because His love filled me more, I wanted to pray for more people. It wasn't an obligation. <coughs> it was just my heart would go out to them. I would see more people like, oh man, you know, they, they need a love. And I would write them down. So by the time I was a, a fifth year, I had like seven full pages in my journal. Now, first year, it was like a quarter of a page of a few names. I would pray ten minutes. By my last semester, I was praying almost two and a half hours a day while doing all those engineering classes, getting straight A's, and doing all this stuff with my fellowship. Okay, I was doing all that, but I was so hungry for the Lord. And I remember I would cry almost every day. 
because God would just show up. His love would wreck me. I wouldn't just, just pray for people. I'd also praise Him. I would, I would speak out, memorize scripture that I had. I would read some different books, some different like missionary letters. And God was just doing a deep work. Well, I graduate. I go home. I open up my notebook. First name I write down is my dad's name. And I'm praying for him. And Joel 2.28 comes in my heart. Now, I wasn't charismatic growing up. I was introduced to the Holy Spirit as I grew with the Lord in college. It was still very new to me. I remember when I was first around Asians praying out loud. It, it freaked me out. And my friends thought it was a cult. They were like, get out. It's a cult. You know, they're praying out loud. You know, like my white friends. And, uh, and so, you know, I had to get opened up to the Spirit. It took a long time. I was studying the Word really hard. He was opening me up, but I still didn't know that much. And Joel 2.28 came on my heart. And it says this, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on old people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And I was like, wow, that's a cool verse. What does that have to do with my dad? So I'm like, okay, God, give me the sermon. What are you trying to say? This is like, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, God, give me a verse. I'm like, I guess I got to use John Michael logic. So I'm like looking at it, and it says, you know, sons of ours prophesy. No, your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Well, I call my dad my old man. I'll, I'll pray that he dreams dreams. I'd never pray that for anyone. I wrote it down, and I still have that journal today. Dreams, dreams, walks in your spirit. I began praying that for him daily. Five days later, he had the dream of me in the orphanage, but my dense mind didn't pick it up. Second dream, and he's more shaken sharing it with me, I realized, Dad, I've been praying for you to dream dreams. God's speaking to you. And he said, we got to email Pastor Che and find out what's going on right now. Pastor Che, he's in his 70s. He's a Korean guy. Uh, survived the Korean War. Crazy stories in his life. Um, he can speak some English. He started the orphanage, started all these churches, started a Bible university. Uh, amazing guy. And uh, I had his email address. And I remember emailing him. And it was the most ironic email. It was like, hello, my name is John Michael Becker. I'm 22 years old. I'm an engineer, um, a systems engineer. Uh, I can't speak any Korean. Uh, can I be of any help at your orphanage? Like, I can't even speak your language. Like, can I help you? And uh, I emailed it to him, and he doesn't reply for like a month. And he finally replies, and it's like one line. It says, um, I don't know. I'll talk to my staff. We'll see. And I'm like, okay, thank you very much. And I wait. And July passes. August passes. And uh, in September, I remember uh, I was... I was praying at night, and I was praying about my future, and I got into bed, and I was just thinking about Korea. And I was like, man, could I do it? Because if I were to go to Korea, I'd be living with orphans, and I had no experience with children. I didn't like children, okay? Two, I'd be living with all these people who can't speak English. Three, this is important, I'd be eating kimchi every day. <laughs> like, can, can I do this? Four, I would have no friends. I, like, I knew almost no one in Korea at that time. I'd be alone. I had no ministry team. Nobody's sending me, and I have to raise support money. And so I was like, God, you know, can this happen? Like, you know, what are you going to do? How am I going to even be effective in Korea? But I was laying there, and God's peace just fell on me. And His peace is, it's grace. It's just, it's yeah. undeserving. It just comes, came upon me. And verses like Hebrews 13:5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The end of the Great Commission, surely I'm with you always, even now to the very end of the age. These verses, they just came alive in me. And all those times that I was worshiping God like you guys did at the Mansion Retreat, and it's so powerful, and you're like, God, I love you, I'll do anything for you. And it like came back to me. And I was like, okay, God, I'm in my right mind right now. But I mean, what I said in those ecstatic moments of worship to you, when I was just like 
you know, so like in, in your presence, I'm saying it right now, even though, you know, I'm, I'm just laying in my bed. I will follow you and I'll go. I'll obey. If Pastor Che emails me tomorrow and says, we want you to come to Orphanage, I'll go and I'll trust you for everything. It was his peace. It's not anything that I did. It was his grace. I was just obeying him and he was providing everything. And you know what happened? A week later, my mom got an email from a friend of hers from the Midwest. And this is a friend that she knows well and trusts well. And the lady, she asked about me. She said, how's John Michael doing? My mom replied back, he's working construction. Uh, we're not sure about his future. He might do engineering, he might do missions. We don't know yet. Well, the lady replies and says to my mom, uh, I've been praying and uh, there's a sum of money uh, that I got, uh, I think it was from a bonus or something, that's been set aside. I felt God tell me to give this to missions. And so I continued to pray for a while, and I asked God, you know, what mission group, what country, what mission, who should I give this to? And God told me very clearly to give this money to John Michael. Wow. So at the beginning of December this year, I will be giving John Michael $1,500 a month for an entire year to wherever God leads him. $18,000 out of nowhere. Nothing confirmed. No email from Pastor Che. This lady knows nothing about what's been going on in my life. She lives in the Midwest. She just got it from the Lord. And this is someone my mom trusts very well. I remember my mom called me. She's like, John, get down here right now. I was like getting out of the shower. And I was like, oh, Mom. You know, and, and I come down. She's like, I'm going to shoot you an email. I'm like, it better not be one of those chain letters. You know, like, <laughs> and uh, she shows it to me. Just like, like this, and she looks at me and says, "John Michael, Korea doesn't work out. You better go somewhere. God's <laughs> giving you all this money, you know." And what was so cool was God was guiding my mom very clearly. God was giving confirmations not to me but to my mom. And I wasn't the one getting the dreams. In October, a couple of weeks later, my dad had two more vivid dreams of me at the orphanage. So much to the point where we're at dinner, he's not even eating. He's just looking at me and be like, "Okay." Now you gotta be ready because they're not gonna have hot water. <laughs> and he's telling me all these different details. One of the dreams was me teaching English, and the other dream was me moving into my apartment. So he's telling me all these details about an orphanage that he's never seen in his life. And he's just fascinated that he's getting these clear dreams. And uh, it got to the point where in mid October, my dad's now had four dreams, the money is going to come in, my family gathered together. And uh, it's my two sisters, my brother-in-law, my parents. And for them, missions is totally off the grid. And uh, it's scary. Korea is the other side of the world. Right? <laughs> you know, scary. And, uh, but they all share it. And they said, to serve the orphans is God's heart. And this is clearly God working. This is good. We bless you. One after another, they bless me. And my parents, what they shared, so powerful. They said, John Michael, dear the Lord's right now. You're going to go do the Lord's work. And we're no longer your responsibility. If something happens to us back here in Virginia, I don't want you to worry about us. You entrust us to the Lord because you're doing the Lord's work. And He will take care of us. So they released me from taking care of them in the future. And uh, they put me in the middle, they lay hands on me, and they blessed me. And I think it was just a few days later, I finally got a reply from Pastor Che. And he said, we would like you to come to Korea uh, to live with us, to teach English to the kids. Please come out after Christmas. And... Uh, I replied back, all right, I'll be there. Bought my ticket that same day. And uh, so I flew up right after Christmas, lived in the home for three years. And you know what happened? I told you I didn't have a heart for kids. And I didn't have a heart for kids when I arrived at the home. Uh, it wasn't like, I was like, orphans! Like, it, was, it was more like, oh man, what do I do with these kids? You know? Like, I can't even speak their language. They can't speak my language. 
And it was awkward. If you guys had seen me those first, you know, times, I was just, I would sit there in the cafeteria and eat with them, and then I would go back to my room. <laughs> and I would be alone. But God works so powerfully. Because we love, because God first loved us. Yeah. And so, the heart that God had given me for missions was from Him. It was deep within me. It was a desire I didn't know I had. And as I was with the kids, I realized, started to realize, wow, I have such a heart for these children. I love these kids so much. I memorized like 80, there was 88 kids in my home. I memorized all their names within, I think it was three days. You know how I did it? Was I went room to room and I would take pictures of them all together. <laughs> and then on my laptop, uh, I, I learned, you need me more? Like, what's your name? I learned that one. So I learned, you need me more? And they would like tell me all the names. I would type it up in English. And, uh, and then I would go back to my room and every day I would pray for them. And I'd be like, God, I pray for Sujin, I pray this for her, I pray, pray for Sunny, I pray this for her. And you know what? After three days of praying for them, I had all their names. And they were shocked, you know, that, that I knew them. They all knew my name. I was a white guy. <laughs> you know? Um, but but they, they loved it, and I loved it. And I, I just, I grew with the Lord so much. And everything I needed, He provided. I remember my loneliest nights there, those first few months, they were hard. But there was a grace of the Lord upon me. And I didn't have friends in Korea, so you know, I had like a couple people I knew, but I was pretty much on my own in that orphanage with a bunch of people who couldn't speak English. And I would, I would you know, lay on my bed, and I would cry because I, you know, I felt the loneliness, but I was like, God, you're with me, and I know you're going to do a great work. And sometimes I'd be like, God, I need encouragement. I need encouragement right now. And, uh, and you know, I'd pull, pull myself together, and I would go down to the cafeteria, and I would sit down, and I remember, you know, like one, one time I was really, really heavy. I was like, God, I need some encouragement. I go to the cafeteria, I sit with these kids, and then one of them is like, oh, what do they say? It was some like English movie. But it was, you know, they were saying it like in Korean, like Iron Man, but I don't know what movie it was then, like Batman or something. But I, was like, I know that. And I was like, Batman, I started like acting out. Like, yeah, you know? and, and they would call, keep calling me Smith. Smith, Smith. And it turned out there was a movie called Welcome to Dormator, or something like that. I, I'm not pronouncing it right. But there's a white guy in that movie who looks nothing like me. <laughs> but they all were like, he looks just like me. <laughs> and so we're starting to connect on movies. And, and, uh, and so I'm saying, like, the comedy's trying to say it in Congress. And they're laughing. And, and we're, like, having a connection. And it blessed me so much. And it gave me that encouragement that I needed. Like, I'm communicating, you know, with these, <laughs> like English movie titles, but you know, there's a connection being made here, and God's grace was all over me, and He took care of me uh, all through that time, and I've been out here now eight years, and I can tell you, it's gotten better and better and better and better with every year, and I have too many testimonies uh, to tell. How much time do I have? Just so I know. Fifteen. Okay. Well, let me share how I met Scott. That's a good one, right? <laughs> Come on, love story better be good, right? <laughs> if, if, you know, those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed, those who wait on Him will not be put to shame. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what happened was, I, because I did that girls fast, like girlfriend fast, during, during college, I had a lot of friends that were girls, but because I did that, my eyes were really trained. Okay, Job 31.1, this is a good verse for you guys to memorize. It says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young woman. That's a good verse, Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon you. And that's what I did in college. I trained my mind, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, I trained my mind to not think about, you know, 
lustful images, to not look at the girls as I'm walking to class, to not do that. And it took time, guys, because I, I was a sinner. I, I messed up, you know, in, in high school and, and, and stuff like that. God had to cleanse my mind. But he did that. And so I got very pure, all right? And, and uh, I remember it got to the point where my parents pulled me aside after my fourth year. At the beach, and my dad was like, son, let's take a walk. And we go for a walk. And he's like, so I'm like, I've been praying with you know, your mom, and we really feel you need to open your heart to women. And I'm like, dad, dad, I like women. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, I'm waiting on the Lord. Uh, but there was that concern, because I was so just like, just focused on the Lord. And uh, I met Sky. Uh, her, her Korean name is Chie, she didn't have an English name at that time. During our freshman year, I was a fifth year senior, because I had taken that year off from, for, for engineering. And uh, I was her Bible study leader, and I helped lead her to Christ, uh, along with uh, her good friend Simi, who also goes to Hillside, and, uh, and a bunch of others. And so we had great, very pure relationships. We had a lot of fun. Uh, I taught her how to drive. I taught Simi how to drive. I was like the father figure of that fellowship. They called me Mama Boots. Right. <laughs> there were a bunch of short, short girls, and I would walk around and follow them. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Okay, and, and so we had that very, very, very long time, very clear boundaries, very healthy friendship. And then I went to Korea, and I will tell you guys, because I'm working in an orphanage, and because I was such a missions mindset, my mind didn't open to girls. And uh, I stayed in that kind of closed mindset towards girls. It wasn't that I didn't like girls, it was just I wasn't attracted, I wasn't like entertaining thoughts on girls. I was just focused, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a missionary to the orphans, you know, God will take care of that stuff later. And uh, I kept serving the kids, and then around 2008, people were like, I feel like God's getting you ready for marriage. He's getting you ready for marriage. 2009, you're going to get married, you know, in the fall, and then you're going to get married in the spring, you know, and they're saying this stuff to me. And what had to happen in 2009 was God brought me through a season of healing. And I know some of you guys had your healing deliverance, but I really needed that, not because I had sinned, uh, but because of trauma, not even because of trauma, because of disappointment in my past dating. I really did believe God would satisfy me. Because I pursued the girls that I really liked and ended up very disappointed. And so I thought, man, there's no one that's really going to make me that happy. Plus, I'm going to go to North Korea and I'm going to serve the orphans the rest of my life. So she's got to be this holy, like, perfect, you know, woman just set apart from God and we're just going to do God's work. And it's not going to be fun. <laughs> but that's, that's the, you know, everything else is great, but the relationship thing hadn't been healed. Because I just put it under the rug. I hadn't been confronting it. Those relationships from high school, they were still affecting me. And uh, God brought me through a time of healing, got corrected, that disappointment, those fears, those different lies. And then in 2010, I was really opening my heart. And uh, I was trying, but I just wasn't interested in anyone. I remember Pastor Christian would come up to me and be like, come on, there's got to be someone, you know, and he'd sit down with me, and like, please. And, and uh, finally, I found out about this, this girl that was a former, like, uh, uh, she, had, she had done ministry in Korea, and she was visiting Seoul. And uh, she was going to be there for a few weeks. She had actually contacted me about orphanage ministry and her ministry, like, connecting. And I thought, well, maybe there could be something here. And so I set up a blind date with her. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't that, like, gung-ho about it. But I was just like, God, you got to open my heart. you got to, like, you know, help me out here. Get this, get this motor moving again, you know? <laughs> and I went on the blind date, and it was fine, uh, you know? But it wasn't, like, sparks or anything like that. And uh, the next day... I wasn't feeling it, but I went on the second blind date with her. It was the second date. And um, 
we're talking, and she has like everything lined up ministry-wise. It's like Bible college, you know, all this missions experience, loves kids, wants to go to work, you know, it's like everything lined up, like, wow, perfect match for John Michael, you know, the, the orphanage <laughs> minister. But I'm like, what, what's your favorite movie? And she lists these action movies, and you think that'd be great, but they're the action movies that I hate. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, you know, that's okay. Well, you know, what, what about books? You know, we're just talking, you know, I'm just smiling the whole time. She just like the books that I hated in high school. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And we keep talking music, and it's like, oh, music I don't like. And I'm like, and we got nothing here. And, uh, but the funny thing was, was that she was like, hey, you know, our mutual friend, and uh, he was a pastor, he, he, I met up with him today, and he told me that we're going to get married. And I'm like, it's our second date. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I wanted to kill him. All right, this is my friend too, and I wanted to kill him. And, and she's like, "Yeah, it was really weird, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it was really weird." <laughs> and stuff. And and you know, we we finished the date. She goes back to America, uh, and I I meet up with that friend, and I'm like, "What the heck are you doing?" Like, telling her this. And he goes off on his story about how he met his wife, and it lines up exactly with me because he had closed his heart towards girls for a while as well after he got saved. And you know, then when God opened his heart, it was the first person, and it just worked out. And she's like, This is the first person that's opened your heart, it's gonna be her foolishness. Okay, what well, he was doing with mad foolishness. But I was like, I'm not feeling it because I wasn't feeling it before. I didn't feel this joy, I didn't feel you know this this peace or anything like that. And I remember going home that night and uh uh, I was in my apartment, I was just praying, and I was so frustrated. You see, I got this girl now thinking that we're going to get married, and, you know, I got like this mess, like, and, and, uh, and I'm not that excited, and I'm like, God, this girl is great, but I wish she, you know, I, I wish I was with someone that would bring me more joy when I'm around her, like, like, Gia, you know, and, and you know, she's great, but I, I wish... She was someone that, that I would laugh a lot more with and, and feel a lot more like I could just be more comfortable, be myself with. You know, like, like Gia, and at this time, Gia had just moved to Korea, but we were still keeping that same friendship from before. And so I'm saying all that stuff, and it's like, duh, you know, but for me, it's like, oh, you know. Like, I couldn't consider that, because I had led her to Christ. She was 18, you know, when I met her, we had, we had that relationship where, you know, she was calling me like a parent, I was treating her like a daughter. And uh, it had been six years now, but because we hadn't been with each other all that time, we were still viewing each other in that way. Well, that night, I, I remember laying in bed, and, and I finally entertained the thought of like, what it would be like if I was with her. And there was so much joy that filled me, like, so much excitement. And I was like, man, I haven't felt this way for a girl since I was like 16. <laughs> I got really excited, and so I Skyped my parents the next day. And I'm like, hey, um, they had met her. And I was like, hey, do you remember her? And they were like, trying to remember. But they couldn't really. But they were like, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, I'm, 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 think I'm interested. And they were like, they were like ask her out today. <laughs> like, come on. You know? And uh, so I was like, should I? And uh, I talked with Pastor Christian. And uh, he said, after I met with him, he was like, all right, you know, go for it. He had never seen me interested in a girl. He'd known me for you know, so long. So he's like, okay, you know, cool. But uh, he emailed me that night and he said, why don't you take some time to pray about it? And uh, so he said, take a month. And so I took a month uh, to pray about it. And I felt a lot of peace come in. Because I felt a lot of anxiety too. Because she was going to go back to America for like four weeks the following week. So if I were to ask her out, not only would that be a bombshell because of our long platonic friendship. Uh, but she would also be going back to the States. She had a lot of stuff she needed to clean up. 
including with an ex-boyfriend that she might end up, you know, getting back together with uh, and stuff. And, and so I felt a lot of peace. Uh, I drove to the airport. She has no idea that I'm interested in her. You know, she goes back to America, and I pray, and I seek the Lord. And what ends up happening was, uh, what I knew about Gia, this is another reason why I was never pursuing her, was, one, she had never been attracted to a non-Korean in her life. She was trained by her mom that she would marry a Korean. She, was, she attended a church when she was younger, and there was a half-Korean guy that liked her. And her mom found out she didn't even like the guy. Her mom made her leave the church. Okay? Her mom was like, you will be with a Korean guy. All right? That was one. Number two, she's very artsy. She likes artsy guys. I'm an engineer. I can make a, I can make a, like a box on all of that. But that's not really art, you know. And then three, she, she really likes music. Okay, and I, I'm not the music most musically talented person. And I think there was another one as well. Alright, but it's like her non-negotiables are not me at all. And so I'm like, I, I have no chance here. But I'm just, you know, I'm praying. And uh, what ends up happening is she's at home. She's with her mom and they're like fighting or whatever, just, you know, playfully. She's like, well, what if I were to marry a white guy, mom? You know, like that. And her mom goes, I feel okay. And this guy's like, what? You know, she's never been interested in one, but she was just shocked that her mom, like, had changed. And her mom, over the years, whatever, you know, her heart had gotten open and she felt safer about that stuff. Well, also, other things got taken care of, put in order. She comes back. I, I, I pick her up at the airport. Man, there's a lot in this story. But basically... Uh, I ended up asking her out. It shocked her like crazy um, because of the way our friendship was. Uh, and you know, it took her some time to pray about it, but then she ended up saying yes. We went on a date, and it, it went fast. Yeah. The love just like, it, it blew up. Now, what was cool was I had a Skype with her dad. Now, her parents had divorced. Uh, Korean dad. I'm the white guy. Okay? I got to talk to the Korean father, and I had seen other friends Try this. Go this route. And it's scary. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you know, we, we're going to meet your dad. And, uh, and we sit down, and um, her dad had been a very depressed man. He ended up being saved in college. And her brother also got saved um, a couple years when she was in college. And, uh, and so we Skype with him, and we're talking with him, and then he says this to me. He says, John Michael, you led my daughter to Christ. She led me to Christ and my younger brother. I am eternally grateful to you. I thank you. I bless you. I love you. I trust you. He said those things in English. Now I'm just like, whoa. Okay? And uh, he says this stuff, and we're having an amazing time dating. Now her mom is not Christian yet, and she found out about me, this missionary guy, you know, who's, who's dating her. And she flies out to Korea to meet me. Right? And we ended up going to Jejudo together. Me, her mom, her, and her aunt. And we're in Jejudo, and uh, I had to sit down with her mom because her mom wanted to watch us together. Like, is this real? You know? <laughs> and uh, I ended up sitting down with her mom. Uh, and or Actually, that day, I'm going to ask her mom for her blessing to marry Sky. We get a phone call from the States from her dad. And Scott picks it up. She's like, oh, I'm like, hey. And he says, uh, is John Michael there? She's like, yeah. Let me talk to him. Okay. You know, it's dad. You know, she gives it to me. And uh, he said, John Michael, uh, last night I had a dream. And in this dream, you were sitting at a table with Chie uh, and her mom. And I was coming in with these, like, big containers of food. And I was serving rice and panchan, side dishes. 
okay, and I was serving you a meal. And I believe what this dream means is that your family, okay, because in Korea, when you meet with a family and the father serves you a meal, that means that you're accepted, you're blessed to marry. And he tells me this, and that's basically his blessing for my marriage. I didn't talk to him yet about marriage. And I'm like, wow, well, you know, hang up with that. And then that night, I sit with her mom and in full Korean for 30 minutes. I talk to her about my relationship with this guy. And how about that? I can speak Korean now. And I'm able to talk with her mom. Now, if I had pursued her years earlier, I couldn't have spoken to her mom like that. But now I'm speaking with her, sharing with her how much I love Sky, how, you know, I can't say God will provide, but she doesn't believe in God. So I said, look, you know, I, I graduate with honors as an engineer. I've worked before. I know how to make money. If money doesn't come in for the orphanage work, I will quit. Because she's my first priority before this. If God won't provide for the ministry, then obviously he doesn't want me in the ministry. And so I will work, okay? But God will provide. I trust this. He's God has provided for me. And I told her, you know, different stories. And I share all these things. And at the end uh, of, of the, the conversation, she said, I bless you. I bless you. And all in Korean. No English, that whole conversation. And uh, it was so cool. And the same day. Well, then her dad shared with her uh, shortly after that, after I proposed and were engaged, or somewhere around that time, that before we dated, he had a dream. And in this dream, it was of this tall, all right, it is his words, tall, handsome white guy, <laughs> in priestly garments, but he's not a priest. Okay, now I'm a pastor at New Philly, but I'm a lay pastor, I'm not on staff. I'm not paid, that's not my job. My job is orphanage work. I just help out at the church, okay? But I do serve as a pastor. And so he said, he's in like priestly garments and in like pastorly clothes, but he's not a pastor. He knew this in the dream. And then the moment Sky told him, hey, John Michael is asking me out. You showed him the picture of me. He knew it was me and that we were meant to be. Before I even asked her out, he had this dream. Now that's amazing because you can talk to a lot of other mixed couples and they'll probably say it's a lot harder. But you know what? I sought the Lord all the way through. Guys, it was amazing how smooth and how blessed and how beautiful uh, our, our marriage was. And it was to the point where her parents, though they had had a horrible divorce and her mom had, had remarried, that guy that she had remarried to was very difficult. He would have not blessed the marriage. He would have been really difficult to work with. It was a good separation. All right? Her mom had recently separated from him. And her father, now Christian, had reconciled with the mom. They hadn't gotten back together, but he had gone to her and repented for all the ways he had treated her wrongly and sought her forgiveness. And so they had reconciled. So when we went to the States to get married, we were able to have dinner with her mom and her dad sitting there and her dad cracking jokes and her mom being like, no, come on, you know, be quiet, you know. But it was fun. And it was light. And we had a beautiful wedding. And uh, you guys will just have to watch uh, that video. I feel like I'm leaving out some really key key stories uh, in that. But this is what God does. Okay? It gets better and better. Our love story is amazing. I just shared with you some of the details. There's a lot more to it. In my life, as I have sought the Lord, it gets better and better. More and more exciting. John 3.8 says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You can hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Holy Spirit. John 3, if you're born of the Holy Spirit, you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. You're here at Creed University. I bet five years ago, some of you never thought you'd be here. Okay? But you're here. Now, if you really start walking with the Lord, you really start surrendering your life to Him, man, who knows where you're going to be? 
but it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be exciting. Yeah. It's going to get better and better. Yeah. Old wine is always better than the new one. Wine gets better and better with age. Your relationship with God should always get better and better. It should get more and more exciting. My dad still gets dreams today about my ministry. Still, continually gets dreams. I'll pray about it and he'll get a dream. He'll be like, have you been praying for me? I'm like, yep. And he'll share with me about North Korea. My dad has had so many dreams about North Korea that he is more convinced of it than me. <laughs> he is ready to drop his job in the States. He's an accountant, treasurer for our family construction business. He's ready to drop it all and move out here and join me in work for North Korea. Wow. He's ready to drop everything. That's how real it is to him. Now, this is the same guy that during my last year of college said, you're not going to go anywhere you're going to work engineering. That's how powerful that is. Yeah. Okay? Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Those who wait on Him will not be put to shame. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I want to I pray for you guys.